I cannot put your good intentions on the stage. I cannot put your idea, if it's in your head, in an ad. I cannot take your, boy, one day I want to do this and put that on radio. I cannot do anything with that. It is only when you create something, when you write something, when you put something out there, then people have something to touch, people have something to look at, people have something to criticize. Then you have an opportunity to make a statement in the world. You are now listening to Via Crayons, the podcast. Extraordinary conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Dano McNichol. Enjoy. This podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. Please review and rate the show by going to podchaser.com slash crayons the podcast. You can help support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash crayons. This is We Are Crayons, the podcast. Welcome to another episode. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with creative strategist Dexter Musgrave. Dexter. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, thank you very much, man. Glad to be on this. Nice, nice, nice. All right, so let's get straight into it, Dexter. All right. I want to find out from you, Dexter, what was your childhood like and what influence did that have on who you are as an adult today? (laughs) My childhood. All right. You went straight at it, man. My childhood was interesting. It was a militant childhood to some extent because my father was in the military at the time. And it was three of us for a long time until my younger brother came along long after. We would always get up at 5.30 and one person would have to clean the living room. A next person has to clean the bathroom. And the next person would have to clean the kitchen before we got ready for school. And so that was at 5.30. And then by the time six we were out the door looking to walk to school or to get transport to catch a bus. So the thing about my childhood, because even now my wife looks at the things I do, we would have to fold our clothes a particular way or we'd be told to fold them over. It was very rigid, very disciplined. So I remember those things very clearly. But yet, even though it was that militant, I was always had a curious kind of mind that will move away from that military kind of vibe. So one of the things I used to love to look at movies on Sunday evening and imagine myself in movies or imagine myself, you know, telling stories. But at the same time, there's that militant side, which was always make sure that, you know, the living room was a particular way. My childhood was like this kind of, if I was to say, is this strange kind of mixture of play, but at the same time, do play. So around, let's say vacation time, I guess not children of today, I would be up in the savannah playing football, playing cricket, always coming back with some level of bruises. But then I would make sure that at 5.30 or at 5, 5 a.m. in the morning, we were up cleaning this, doing that, making sure that was done. And so when I think about my childhood, me being the eldest as well, it was a case of I knew very early on that I was responsible because my father would remind me that your younger brother and sister are looking at you and I will hold you responsible. It was very, very early 
I knew that not so much I was in charge, but I would be held accountable for even things that they might do. And so it was kind of being a child, but yet being an adult at the same time, if I was to say that. Whereas other kids around my age, everything for them was play, 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 play. I was like, boy, what life you live in, boy? What life you live in? Because I know I have to reach out by this time to make sure this clean a particular way, you know, for that particular reason. The follow-up question to that is, how has that discipline influenced the rest of your life to bring you to where you are now? Well, that's a good question. You see, I think that, I'll tell you this, it might sound strange. I work in the creative field, and I know you interview a lot of creative individuals and stuff like that. And it may sound strange that, even though I said to you, I would imagine certain things, like my father taught me discipline and hard work first. If you told me years ago that I would be in advertising, I would say, what is advertising? I stumbled into this. But what he taught me was how to work very hard. And so I sincerely believe that anything you choose to do or anything you're given to do, if you work very hard at it, you tend to master it. And so I found myself in jobs or doing jobs without the idea that is probably now you know, thinking about, is this my purpose? Do I belong here? All I knew was this is my job to do and I need to work very hard at it. So I was taught discipline very early and then I learned how to dream. Because now the funny thing is that we live in a society that kind of teaches and you flip. You tell you dream first, dream big. And then when you get into the work, you have no idea what to do, you know, or you realize it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be. So what I've seen from what my father taught me about being disciplined and working hard is that now I'm able to face certain challenges, not with the immediate thought that, oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be, oh, yeah, man, I have this. Oh, yeah, but it's under control. I literally expect that this is going to be hard work. And I literally expect that this is going to be a challenge. And then I also say that I'm going to figure it out. And so that is probably one of the biggest influences that that type of childhood has had on my life, that I see the discipline necessary for the job sometimes before I see the dream. But I do believe that once I apply the discipline or once I apply the hard work, that something must produce. Because I've always seen, I don't know it any other way, boss. I really don't know any other way to make money, to grow, to expand, to increase what you want, other than working hard and working smart, as they say. But other than work, if you can mm-hmm. give me another way to do it outside of work, yeah, I'm all ears. So. Yeah, yeah, that that's great. And why I'm saying that that's great, because for me, I also learned that from my mom, but it wasn't, I guess in your case, because your dad had a military background and that's the way he went through his day. And that's the best way he knew how to pass that lessons down to you to have you go through your days a, a particular way. In my case, it was just seeing my mom doing one thing, doing another thing, but always giving her best and doing the best you knew how to do that particular thing. And I think just to build success in general, you know, work ethic is probably the most important of all of that. I mean, you can have natural talent and all of that, but if you don't have the work ethic, the discipline to use to help propel you forward is not necessarily going to happen. When I entered advertising, when I started to work in McCann, I remember one of the art directors, I think I was only there a year, and he saw how quickly 
I had begun to learn things. He said to me, I remember that time, he said, I've never seen anybody come into an agency having no agency experience in an environment like this. You came to work like a man with a machete. You just decided to just go and chop things from a side. He said, you came with a kind of passion and drive that I'd never saw anybody before. And I did not know that he was noticing that. And I think like what you said, when you have a particular work ethic, success for you is not like this destination. A lot of times you arrive at different points of success and you don't even realize, you know, somebody has to tell you, yo, you're doing really well because you just on this, hey, just need to get done. Just need to get it. You climb one mountain, it's another mountain that needs to go again. And so... What you're saying there, because I think work ethic is something that I absolutely believe in. My two things I tell some people all the time is if I was to take a tattoo, (laughs) I say it would be faith and work because I sincerely hold true to those two things the most probably more than anything else. Yeah. So tell me, Dexter, how did you get into creativity and expressing yourself in a creative way? Me getting into the creative field, advertising, was interesting. Prior to that, I used to work for the Bureau of Standards checking foreign news tires. So if you could imagine, I was in a coverall, steel tip boots, going out on a port, island point Lisa, so port of Spain or sometimes different parts of the country with a crew of great guys. And we would go and check foreign news tires to make sure that they passed standard to be put on the roads of China Tobago. That was my job. I had no idea about advertising, no idea about copywriting, nothing like that. All I knew is about checking tires, sweating, and getting the job done. So what happened was I was involved in church for a long time. And I used to write these short plays sometimes for church or just kind of write these short stories or even write poems. You know what I mean? You grew up in church and I just kind of like to write. Since even as a child, my favorite subject was creative writing. Always loved writing stories. Always loved doing that. And a friend of mine was working in an agency and he asked me if I'd be interested in copywriting. And my response was that to do with music, right? That has to do with music. He said, no, no, no. Copywriting is, you know, writing ads for so-and-so. I said, I've never done it before, but I would be willing to take a try at it. And he gave me an ad to write, a greetings ad. I think it was for Coca-Cola at the time. And I didn't realize how big that was. Now, when I look back at the first thing I ever wrote was for Coca-Cola. I was like, ah, you know? (laughs) So anyway, so I had to write this greeting ad for Coca-Cola. And um, I wrote like, because I wasn't sure what I was doing, I maybe wrote, must be four or five different versions, you know? Not knowing that they just wanted one. And sent it in. And they chose one. And then I remember seeing it in the papers, man. And when I saw my words in the newspaper, in a black and white greeting ad, that was a small ad, but still was my words. That was when I said, I want to do this. The worst thing for me on my job, when I was checking tires, when I was checking tires, I will understand. That was my world, you know. I did not know that there were other things outside of that necessarily that person could do for a living. I knew there were things, but I didn't think that it was as crazy as writing words and seeing them in a newspaper. It might sound weird because how you mean you didn't know that, you know, you're alive. But I'll tell you the truth that a lot of us live in this world, but we live in very small worlds as well. You know, all of us might exist in Trinidad, but my Trinidad is different from your Trinidad, you know, but that's our next topic. So when I saw that, it opened up my mind and then it destroyed any emotion, feeling or love I had for the job I was currently doing. 
So every time now I would go to this job, I began to see all the ways that I didn't belong there or that I just couldn't do this anymore. And it was a turning point for me in a port in Port Lisas after checking tires. I literally, and I'd kid you not, I literally looked out on the port, looked out on the tires, took a walk to the bathroom, closed the door and said to myself, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And that's when I began reaching out to agencies. And I had no experience in terms of working in advertising. So what I did do is I went to the newspapers and I looked for all the ads that were in the newspaper. And I said, if I could do over these ads, here's what I would do. And I started to do over these ads. I started to draw out an ad for so-and-so on a page and write a new headline and do so-and-so, not knowing any of those things, you know what I mean? And just started to draw out what I would say and how I would do it. And that was my portfolio. That was it. And so because I was looking for a job, it so happened that I saw one in a newspaper and it said B dash dash A dash dash copywriter needed. And I was like, what's that? And then I realized, oh, it's bad ass. Okay. So that I decided to then do a response to that resume. And I said, bad ass copywriter found. And I sent that in with my jokey, when I look back at it, my jokey attempt at doing over ads. And I remember being interviewed by this Italian guy and we would end up meeting later on, Leonardo, real great guy, excellent creative. And he told me, as he normally would, because he was very blunt, he told me, your resume wasn't great. It was not great at all. But he said, you had more attitude than everybody else because everybody else gave a nice little brown envelope and so on. So on. I just did these crazy things and sent it in. And so that got me an interview. And about a few months, nearly a year later, yeah, I got called back. And this time was before about four or five people. And I was being interviewed by guys who be my colleagues afterwards. And with nothing more, I'm telling you the truth, than my CXC passes and diploma from a Bible school, <laughs> which is another story by itself. The creative director at the time took a chance on me. He said that it is because of your passion that we're going to hire you. I think he felt that. I will always appreciate that he did that for sure. And that is how I got into advertising, sir. I got into advertising. I guess, again, going back to the hard work, I just started to do so and so do that. And yeah, it was not because of qualification or because I even understood what it meant to be a copywriter. It was purely because of passion and hard work. That's really interesting. Did you like try to find anybody who was in the field to ask for advice or anything like that? My friend who was in an agency at the time, he was my only touch point with the advertising world. And so, of course, I asked them, hey, can I do any more work like this? And they actually did throw a few things my way. And just get a taste of that was the beginning for me. So that was kind of it. He just kind of helped me to identify other agencies around. At the time, I started at the agency that hired me was McCann Erickson. And I did not know that McCann Erickson was the McCann Erickson, you know, during that time. Because they were handling TSTT at the time. That's before B-Mobile. Agent myself now. And they had the biggest accounts they were doing. Nescafe, Coca-Cola at one point. You know, they were like the agency, but I did not know that. I just knew that this application in the papers was so interesting, I had to respond to it. And I must say that when I got into the agency, I was telling a friend of mine, Asma, that my first day, I came in a soft pants with pleats. (laughs) 
<laughs> a steel-tip boots, a plaid shirt that was stuck inside of my pants, and a small briefcase because I thought, okay, this is how the corporate world looks. And everybody was in T-shirt and jeans. And I must say that they were very kind to me because it was a totally different world for me, guy. It was totally different. You know, so sneakers and jeans, where's that? Where to work? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I was asking is because, I mean, for you, it took you taking your own initiative, not knowing, right? And I'm wondering that if you had someone telling you, no boy, don't do that, do it this way, if that would have planted any doubt in your mind as to, you know, how to approach this thing or what to do. But because you didn't have that influence, you went with what you felt internally, you know, innately to do to try and put yourself in a position to win. Yeah, yeah. That is a good point. Because sometimes people and this might sound wrong because I mean we are on a podcast given information and given tools and stuff like that. But sometimes the statement ignorance sometimes is a little bit of bliss, you know. Sometimes not knowing makes you work a little harder and makes you think a little bigger because you haven't been told what the rules are as yet you know so you don't know like you said instinct and it's i just want to do this i just feel this you know and when i went into that interview room it wasn't about a degree or about you know mba or nothing like that it was passion and believing that i could do that i believe in i said every time they threw a question at me i said yeah i could figure that out i will find a way to do it i'm a quick leader i'm so and so yeah it was like that they had no reason to hire me either based on qualifications or none. And I will forever be grateful to those guys in that room for making that decision. So now that you've been doing it for quite some time, it's become your career. It's your day-to-day, it's your bread and butter. What does creativity mean to you now? Creativity for me, one is being true to yourself, is finding your voice, is finding your own way of saying something in this world. And advertising, branding has allowed me to do that, as well as I've been involved, I've been writing plays, I've done plays as well. The thing is, and it may sound strange, I did not come out of the guns trying to be creative. Uh, I will understand what I mean. It comes back to again to how I grew up. There wasn't this thing that told me that, like I said, somebody telling me to do so and so, hey, you need to be creative, or here's a creative field, or here's so-and-so. I genuinely responded to something in me that said, you need to say something about this. And the only way I could say something about it was either through a play, or through writing, or through advertising, or through this kind of thing. So when I say creativity is being true to yourself, I think that you discover this thing inside of you, and then you respond to it, and the way that you respond to it, you know, how you say it out there, the world says, oh, that's really creative. That's really creative. When all you're doing is just being yourself, you know, that for me is probably how I would define creativity, you know, being true to yourself and expressing your voice in the world so that it's not like anyone else. So from the point of getting into Makan, learning the ropes, what are some of the things that you had to probably learn or relearn? And I'm using the word relearn here because you went in there 
dressed a particular type of way because that's what was in your mind. So you had to relive, okay, I don't need to, you know, dress a particular way to do the job that I'm doing. You're so right. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the good things is that I was assigned some people to really kind of mentor me who are up to today, my good friends. And I think it was, I'll tell you what was the crazy thing for me. Number one, being in an environment where people were around having these discussions and then throwing ideas around and saying, okay, yeah, that's good. Let's try that. Let's do so and so. That was totally new to me because think about it. I had come from a militant background and then I had entered the government service which has a particular way that things work because there's a hierarchy and stuff like that. And now, and so that I used to work on a crew, there was a supervisor and there was a specific time you went out at a particular time that you came back in. You know, work started this time, work finished at that time. You know what I mean? So here am I now coming into an environment now where it is a bunch of people sitting around a room, drinking coffee, drinking other things sometimes, and <laughs> throwing ideas around and say, let's try that. Let's do so and so. And I'm like, what is this? What is happening? So like any person, you first, you're shocked. You don't know how. I remember the first week I was like, I don't think this is the environment for me. I was like, I was like ready to run. And I like to tell you, I was like, this is... But because I gave up that work ethic as well, I was like, okay, I had to figure this one out. And so I started just to kind of follow some people around and learn from them. And I will tell anybody, don't ever go into an environment thinking that you are the same. You know what I mean? Look for people that you can learn from. You know, be humble. I know everybody wants to make their mark now, and that's important. But you really have to be a disciple first, you know, before you can become a teacher. And you need to go through the process. So I started to write an ad. I remember the first commercial I actually ever wrote was for TSCT. And it was Sail the Seas to Win with Ease. And they told me they wanted me to write a jingle for a promotion. And I remember writing it and then having to sing it now for the guy to kind of get idea of what I was going with. It was a Gilligan's Island kind of ripoff. And thinking to myself, how is it that people have paid me money to sit down and write a song that is going to air on the radio and go towards a brand. I would do this for free, you know, <laughs> because it was just so fulfilling. So one of the first things for me was realizing that there isn't just one way to do a thing because you would hear all these people with different ideas. So learning to collaborate, learning to be part of a group and to collaborate on an idea and to come up with an idea, even though the idea doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the group. And then now to follow through on that idea to the very end. So that was one of the things. In terms of the communication, that was different as well. You will have the creative director sitting down with a copywriter or the head of the agency sitting down with the producer. The lines were not so rigid that I can't talk to you or you can't talk to me or I can't tell you you're wrong. So there was that environment of just, you know, let's just get the work done. It was always about the work and about getting it done, regardless of who you were. Being able to do presentations. I remember my first presentation, I was terrified, but I would look at the people who were presenting and I was in awe. And then I felt, which I must admit, all through my life, when I get that feeling, I could do that. That is what I know. I need to express it. I need to figure out a way to do that. I remember seeing the creative director make a presentation and saying, I can do that, you know, and then gradually 
getting to do presentations and presenting to boards and to rooms and stuff like that, you know, but always learning from the people that I saw doing it right. And the more I saw that, when I moved from McCann to another agency, it was because I was looking for a greater challenge. At the time, um, another agency had come in from Jamaica and they were tackling a big competitor. And I felt that I could work on this brand, was Digital at the time. I said, I could help to build this brand. And I thought that that was really interesting to do. So I ended up jumping into that, you know, and working on that and doing some of the work with some guys called Vascunia Brothers and a team, an excellent team at OGM. And learning from them and also learning how to present. And then because Digital was such a regional brand, that exposed me to the Caribbean. So I ended up going to St. Lucia, Bermuda, and just meeting different people. The worst thing you could do is for me to meet you and see something that I like, see something that I think is amazing. Because I immediately say, I don't want to be you, but I want to understand how your mind works in order for you to do something like that. And then I will figure out a way to interpret it in my own vibe, you know, to express it. And more and more, I ended up getting more and more exposed, not just to local or regional agencies, but to foreign agencies going to Ad Week in New York and meeting people from New York and different agencies around the world. And then it's just, again, learning. I started off as a copywriter, but then grew to love strategy, grew to love building a brand based on strategic thinking. Really, just by placing myself under the mentorship of individuals, you know, they didn't realize they were mentoring me sometimes, but I was learning from them. You know, and I've been very fortunate to have dealt with and met some of the people who were, if not at the top agencies, but they were at the top of their game. And they were very, the word I would use is very generous in allowing me, let me be honest, you know, a guy who came from not the very well-to-do areas in Trinidad to just sit down and ask questions and learn. One of the things you said about relearning, I find that so profound because what I have found, honestly, is that the real challenge for me, even now, and I enjoy it, is that it's not so much about learning new things as it is about unlearning old things. Because you don't realize what is in there. You, know? you don't realize what has been placed inside of there until you meet something that challenges it. And you realize, wait a minute, I had that stereotype there. Wait a minute, I had that view and so you find yourself having to unlearn all things before you could even accept new information. So I get what you're saying. You see that unlearning process in real. If you are enjoying this episode, please leave us a review at podchaser.com slash the podcast. You can support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash crayons. Follow us on Instagram at a big box of crayons. And now back to the show. I want to talk about creative strategy and can you share with us at least your definition of it and how you utilize it or how you put it into play? No problem. So in advertising, it's not just about creative for creative. That is art where you do something and you could come up with any explanation you want sometimes, sometimes, all right? 
But with advertising, you have to always build your creative on a particular position that you want the brand to take on. So when I talk about strategy, I'm talking about asking the big questions like Simon Sinek says, start with why, you know, why does this brand exist? Why is this brand important? If this brand disappeared, would anybody miss it? Or if people would miss this brand, what would they miss about this brand? What is the ding in the universe that this brand wants to create? You know, so when you talk about strategy, the heartbeat of strategy is when you're asking the right questions, you know, is really being so curious that you take the brand apart, you know, and you ask the hard questions to find what is the meaning. Because a lot of brands are very similar in terms of their offering and even similar sometimes in terms of their packaging and color and stuff like that. So you have to figure out what makes this brand different. So strategy for me is about finding that thing that separates this brand from everything else and finding that message that this brand wants to communicate. So that normally lands on a positioning statement, on a brand positioning statement. You know, it might be something that just kind of is almost like a overarching theme to say, this is what this brand stands for. This is what this brand wants to create in the universe. This is why it exists. And this is who it exists for. And then you have to figure out now on the creative side, how do we communicate this why in a way that people will believe and in a way that people will move on and in a way that people will also tell others about. And that's where the creative part comes along. So whereas, let's say Nike might say that their own brand positioning or thing might be about helping persons in the world understand that they have the potential to do great things, then how do we creatively express that? Just do it, you know? So that's kind of how I break down strategy and creative. I always go back to the why and the questions as to define meaning. And while doing that type of work, Dexter, is there anything that you need to do or that you practice to put yourself in a creative state of mind? Yeah. So for me, to really do creative work, I mean, if you saw my room, you would know. I need a particular order, for sure. I cannot work in chaos. That's one. So everything down to the post-it notes, everything is laid out a particular way. And I need to have that environment to work in. I'm really good for mornings, like really good for mornings. I am up early, like 4, 4.30. Coming up with creative early in the morning is my thing. When I hit between 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock, so it's very difficult. It's struggle to be creative. So I tend to do more meetings in the afternoon and leave room for creativity in the morning. In terms of the brand, to put myself in a state of thinking about the brand in that particular way, once I have these things in place environment, all I do is, like most people would do, is a lot of research on a brand. I do a lot of research in terms of what are people saying, how do people feel. Because your brand really is not just what you say, it's what people say. That is the real thing. You can say that you're the best chocolate ever. As a company say that, and if people on the road say, boy, all is the worst chocolate I ever taste in my life, be sure that is what your brand is. So I try to get as much research in as possible to figure out what that means and what it stands for. Once I feel, I don't know how to describe it. It's like um, this eureka moment. Like I know when I hit it. Like I know when all of the research, all of the work, all of the strategy comes to this sweet point and I say, boom, that's it. I know this is it. And I identify that moment as almost, this is when the unignorable idea will happen. 
the idea that for sure you must take note of. Right. And how then do you evaluate having spent all of that time thinking about these things and working through doing your research and not you get to the end point, you get to that you you become woman saying, right, yeah, this is it. How then do you evaluate that work when it's put out into the world and people's reaction to it? How do you deal with that? Whether that the response is positive or negative, how do you deal with those things? Yeah, well, for me, once I get a response, sometimes I wouldn't necessarily mind a negative response as long as what I don't want is no response. That boy, oh my God. Yeah, that is painful because it's human. Eh? And so sometimes you believe you have it and then it's like, oh, you missed it. And that's the truth. In advertising, anybody who has worked at advertising for a long time and tells you that they have always hit the nail on the head, they are lying or they haven't done any work, to be honest. I just tell you, I just tell you, they are lying or they haven't done any work. None of us in this industry always hits the nail on the head. I would sometimes prefer a negative. I've gotten negative responses on my work already that I found were funny. For example, I remember getting a negative response, almost a letter written by a church organization to the agency to say that they found it was very offensive and, you know, and all kind of thing. And I said to myself, if they only know is a guy who have a diploma in theology that wrote the ad, what would happen? <laughs> and I remember also getting some real good reviews. Like when we did the campaign for Digicel, the team at the time at OGM and Viscuina Brothers, when we did the whole um, the music video styles with Lady Gaga one that we did, and the one we did that was a parody, um, a Bollywood movie, you know, and all those different jingles where we even did 10 cents text, you know, Digicel the best, look at all the, you know, we did different parodies, you know, that I remember the kind of response that came for that campaign in Trinidad, Tobago, and even some parts of the Caribbean, it was like, wow. You know, I remember hearing some of my friends who had worked at other agencies say that this changed the game. That was a real high point for me and for the team because at the time, they let us do some really, really good work. And I remember us celebrating that together. You know, when you think about the responses, like you say, that you get to your work, like anybody, you want your work to be appreciated. You want your work to be loved. But even if your work is hated or your work is despised or your work is spoken down on, I'll tell you the truth. At least for me, you want your work to be spoken about. The biggest thing for me and Dennis Ramdin, um, who works at Pepper, he says this sometimes, is I don't want to do work that is vanilla. I don't want to do work that is just like listening to paint dry on the wall or elevator music. You know it's happening, but you don't really pay attention. I don't want to do work like that at all. Seth Gooden says it like this. He says, work that matters for people who care. That is the ambition of my career, to do work that matters for people who care. How do you think the influence of where you come from, how does that impact on the work that you do? A lot of the work I do now is in Jamaica and also up the islands. And I'll tell you the truth, eh? it's only when you leave home, because I've done some work with some agencies in Miami, agencies in Miami as well. It's only when you leave home that you even begin to see home inside of you. you know? And what I mean is that you're always a Trini in Trinidad, eh? but then you see your Trininess when you're outside of Trinidad sometimes, you recognize, oh, this is a Trini thing. People don't do this or they don't say it like that. So how does that influence my work? I'll tell you. Generally, 
there's a level of optimism, I think, that probably colors the way that I do my work, as well as humor. Maybe that's the biggest one. Yeah, maybe that's the biggest one. Maybe because we are always able to look at a situation and either think that real serious, we just do pecong, you know what I mean? Maybe that is why I tend to always lean towards humor. So even in the way I do my plays, I always write comedy because I believe that if you can make people laugh, then you could tell them a serious thing and they'll be willing to hear. When you make people laugh, you disarm them. And then you're able to now sell a point. And so even when I do presentations, when I go into a room, like I remember going into this big boardroom, and everybody's face is just this poker face. Everybody's serious. And I'm like, yo, how everybody doing? <laughs> because is this need... I mean, people could disagree with me with this. I have got an opinion. But I think we as Trinidadians, we have a way to lighten our mood. You know, we just need to feel a vibe in our room sometimes or feel a vibe in something. Like we don't do too well with this over serious kind of, you know, that is our thing as well as our downfall sometimes. I think we should be serious about we still joking. But at the same time, that has really influenced a lot of what I do. I never thought about it until he said it, but humor. Humor and the desire to lighten the mood of any room, that has been a big part of what I do when I go to anywhere else. It's always that. How can we laugh at the situation? How can we put a smile on this? How can we not take this so seriously? How can we... In fact, I tend to be told that Dexter, I think he should be a little more serious about this. It's like, okay. I tell you, me talking about this now is testament on learning because like I tell you, I came from, you know, the militant background where it's not all smiles to now like, yo, try to be a little more serious now. That has been a progression. That is the trinniness I think I bring to the work wherever I go, whether it's St. Lucia or Jamaica or Miami. That is the vibe I bring, that level of humor. And let's lighten the mood, guys. Come on, please. Yeah, that's it. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm thinking through your journey, through your sitting at the feet of other people. Yes. Learning, you're going through, dealing with your own struggles and what has helped you persevere and not give up and keeps you going forward? Yeah, I guess I can think about two things. One is that giving up is not an option. So I've never seen it as... You know, maybe I've entertained it thought a couple of times. Like when I said to you that when I first entered advertising and that first week I was like, yo, let me run back to what I know, you know. But that was just a, you know, passing thing because it's not an option. One of the things my father told me when I was going to school, he said to me when I was in Form 4, Form 5 and about to do CXC, he said, you know, you need to do good in school eh? because if you don't do well, I'm not going to organize and pay for you to go back, you know. You have to get right the first time, you know. <laughs> he was like, if you want to go back to school, you got to work. So I think the idea of knowing that I didn't have a lot of options, and he let me know that very early, I think I've brought that also with me, you know, going through, that when it comes to certain things, what do you mean give up? What do you mean not do this? You're crazy? This is what you're here to do. So you had to get it done. It may change the way you do it, but you have to get it done. So I think I'm motivated by a need to get things done. I don't like to leave things undone. And that 
it's very challenging sometimes because there's some things you have to know when to leave undone because some things are, uh, you only realize that the investment, the returns are not worth the investment. But I have a real need to not leave things undone. So that's one thing that motivates me to keep going. The second thing is, and this is the bigger one, I have a real need to open the doors for other people. I am always trying to link this one with that one. So I recognize that my career is not about me. It really is about the person behind me. Just like how these guys opened the doors for me and they mentored me and they helped to train me. It is my responsibility to now open the door for others and to create those links and to make those happen. I get a real joy in mentoring people and then seeing them fly. And that is the truth. I'm not even trying to make that up or sound like I need to get the, you know, the prize of the year. It is genuine. I really enjoy because I'll tell you the thing about mentoring people. Huh? When you mentor people, they pull stuff out of you that you didn't know was there. They find stuff in you that was buried by a whole bunch of other stuff. And they make you uncomfortable because they demand more from you. And I think because they look at you as somebody that we want to learn, you try harder, you put more in, and you go to places, if we're being honest, you go to places internally that you would have never gone if nobody had asked in the first place. So if I were to elaborate on this, there are a group of young people, and we try to have once a month meetings called Creative Mornings, where I am asked to talk about a topic to kind of talk about creativity and to encourage them in some way. And if it was up to them, it would happen every single month, maybe every single week. But I am the one who keeps pushing back and saying, guys, please, okay. But they have done more for me, I think, than I have done for them. They would say probably the other way around. But what I mean is that they have pulled things out of me that I didn't know was there. Or that, you know what I told you before? That the problem with working, working, working is that you don't take time to celebrate success. You know what I mean? You don't take time to celebrate the accomplishment of your work. In fact, if I were to be honest, you feel like celebrating your work is a little bit, what's the, what are we looking for? Like almost arrogant. You feel like if you have time to celebrate your work, you're probably not working hard enough, which is wrong. So what they did for me is they made me realize, oh, wait a minute, all of this was there. And then I was able to celebrate it. And my celebration is not, hey, look at me. My celebration is seeing them apply some of the principles and then look at them. And I couldn't have asked for anything more than that. That has been blow mind for me, like blow mind. That is probably one of the major reasons why I work, because I know there is somebody else I'm going to open the door for. You mentioned there that the things that in you that you may not necessarily know that it's there. Mm-hmm. And... Again, going back to the beginning, not having the knowledge of what advertising was or what copywriting was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. With those things in mind and actually doing the work, has there ever been a time that you doubted in yourself that, okay, what are doing here? This is not it. And how were you able to deal with that doubt? and get yourself, because you're still doing it. So how were you able to deal with that doubt and move on? You are asking some very hard questions, boss. You need to check yourself. (laughs) You need to check yourself. I'll tell you, 
that I think, so okay, doubting myself and changing stuff. The best thing I could say to you is, I feel like when you're a creative person or you have this level of creativity inside of you, it comes out in different ways. I think the thing that would make me, that if I doubted myself, it wasn't that I ever doubted I was creative. It was that I doubted if I was expressing my creativity on the right platform, if it was supposed to be advertising or maybe this or that. And that is what has led me to doing dramas and writing plays. I have no training whatsoever in writing plays in terms of the, what I said, the normal education and stuff like that. But I believed I had stories to tell. And so I began to explore doing that and got better and better over the years to now we do really great stuff. And so for me, I would say to any creative person, and that's my issue with titles to some extent. If I say, that's why even coming to this point of a creative strategist has been a challenge because I can tell you that I'm a writer and then I could tell you that I love to draw. And then I could tell you that I like to probably create music and I could tell you that I like to probably do film one day. So my thing is, I think when you're a creative person, you're on a constant road of reinvention that you are always creative. Like that is the common denominator, but the place in which you express your creativity, that changes sometimes. And so it isn't that I have ever doubted my creativity, but sometimes I've doubted if this was the right platform to do it. And whenever that has happened, I've just explored something else. That is how I've responded to that feeling. Right. And if you had an opportunity to do something else now, do you know what that thing would be? If I had to do something else other than working in advertising and this kind of thing, you mean? Yeah. I would be Batman, you know? All right. No matter what the opportunity is, always be Batman. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. A long time, that was the goal, you know. But, you know, it just wasn't possible. So, yeah. <laughs> I am Batman. I am Batman. Exactly. Uh, come on. Isn't that like the ultimate goal? I'm just hanging around here, just living in life. And when all of us really want to be. <laughs> has rejection ever affected your creative process? It has gotten me angry. And then say, I'm going to show you. So I thrive on you telling me it can be done. I was like, what? Telling me, no, this, I come back at you even more so. Yeah. Uh, that is how I deal with rejection. If you work in advertising, boss, rejection, you had to just get familiar with that, you know. In fact, I'm sure anybody in the creative field, you will have a very short life if you can't deal with rejection. And it's a weird kind of rejection too. Sometimes you're looking for rejection as logical. It's not logical at all. People just don't like the work because they don't like the work because it reminds them of some boyfriend that they had who broke their heart. I mean, I remember once a client talking about the fact that people won't respond to this because nobody knows what zebras are, which I'm not going to go into right now. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? You know, so listen, that question you asked me, listen, I, that is a whole other podcast about deliberate rejection. You cannot work in advertising or in some creative field where you're dealing with people and not learn how to deal with rejection. It is crazy. And if you get angry at every single statement, you will go mad. You will go mad. So what I do is I take rejection. I try to eat the meat and throw the bone. And then I say, all right, 
let's do this, you know, because in my field, sometimes the work is a lot of trial and error. Sometimes people don't know what they want until they see what they don't want. And that's just part of the package. So yeah, that's how I did rejection boss. It does not stop me. It actually makes me, oh, now it's on. Now it's on. Let's go. Yeah, that's how I did rejection. Yeah. Right. To this point, Dexter, what piece of work are you most proud of? Well, I've been doing this for over 12 years. And I've been fortunate to work in agencies that handle some of the biggest brands in terms of being mobile, digital. So I say that because there's a lot of work to look over. The work I'm most proud of, two things, you know, if I can. In advertising, it will be the work we did for digital as the OGM team. Yeah, it will be that. That's one, in terms of advertising. And the reason why that is, is because, one, I think the team at that time was a team that was excellent. The group of young people who worked on that account at the time to create that work, we were crazy. We were young. We were undernourished and we were committed. But it was so good to work with a team like that at the time. And we would fall out with each other, but then we would fall back in and we would do the work. And when we saw the work that came out with the digital campaign with Lady Blah Blah and this whole music series, everybody wanted to know who did that. And that positioned the agency in a great way. It also positioned the production company in a great way and it positioned the brand in a great way. So good work tends to lift everything. And I think I'm really proud of the work we did and how it lifted the people that worked on it, but also lifted the industry because everybody knew after that, that you had, think about this, right? Because I know this happened because somebody told me that more than once it happened to them, that they would go into meetings to present work and say, we want something like what the agency did for Digicel. We want something like what they did for Digicel, so-and-so. It's like that became the standard for creative work for a while. Like we want something like this. And I was like blown away by that because a simple team in a small agency on Carlos Street were the ones who came up with those ideas. And they are awesome at what they do. And um, I, I was very privileged to work with them. And the second thing that I'm very most proud of is starting a small theater company called Salt and Light and doing this play called Green Mango. I was so proud when a student out of UE decided to put on Green Mango as one of the projects she would do from graduating from UE. And sitting down in that auditorium and seeing something I wrote come to life on a stage in UE, where I did not go to trade in the area of drama, the arts, not like that. And yet seeing this institution hosting this play, it was testament to the fact of you may not have the education in terms of the traditional sense to do a thing, but if you have the passion and you have the work ethic to do it, you'll get it done. And when I saw that play on that stage, that made me again feel that nothing is impossible. Not because of some big dream you have, you know, but if you work hard at something, you make things happen. You make things happen. And so here was I, when I thought about Green Mango, said, well, would I write a play about so-and-so, wrote it on my computer, put it all on a small stage in Macquarie. It was seen by somebody, the script passed to somebody else. They read the script, they love it, they called me, and then they did it to Newey. I was like, wow. 
If I were to say one last thing, if I were to encourage anybody who's creative, it would be this. It would be to do something. And what I mean by that is I cannot put your good intentions on the stage. I cannot put your idea necessarily as in your head if it's in your head in an ad. I cannot take your boy one day I want to do this and put that on radio. I cannot do anything with that. It is only when you create something, when you write something, when you put something out there, then people have something to touch, people have something to look at, people have something to criticize. Then you have an opportunity to make a statement in the world. If I had never written that script, if I had never worked with that team at OGM and done so and so, you know, then those things would have never been out there that we could look and say, oh, that's you. Because when people see your work, they see you, you know, that is the respect you have to give your work. That is the respect you have to give your work, that your work will get into rooms, into countries, and into places that you may never step foot into. But because your work is there, your work will open up doors for you. So your work is almost like the envoy you send ahead of you, you know what I mean, to begin to clear the path. And then your work, if it's good, it does the job of bringing you into the environment you need to be. So I would give that advice to anybody, work. I guess it came right back to that, eh? Work, eh? <laughs> Full circle. What would you like to be most remembered for? So I have godchildren, right? I have like must be 11 or 12 godchildren, to be honest with you, right? And yeah, boy, that's a whole other story by itself. And most of them are girls. And I don't take that lightly at all. And the funny thing is that a lot of the people who have asked me to mentor them happen to be young women as well. So I started writing a story about this young girl with a huge imagination and how she lets her imagination live. So when I think about them, not just the girls, but the guys too, but especially the girls, when I think about them, I think about creating impact in their lives. You know, long ago, to be honest, and I guess it's the way how we sell it, eh? you think impact means being known by everybody. Impact means everybody's knowing your name. You think that impact equals popularity. And I am not interested necessarily in that. I'm not interested in popularity for popularity because that just don't make no sense to me, to me, right? I'm not saying it don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. What I'm interested in is these young people saying that he helped me to make this link or he helped me to start this career or he showed me how to so and so, so and so. So if there's one thing I want to be known for, I want people to say that he opened the doors for us. That would be huge for me. He opened the doors for us. And we've already mentioned it again, but it's you paying it forward from what you got. Yeah, exactly. And I resonate with that because I have like story. I am not formally trained. Someone took it upon themselves to train me. Right. You know, and I was left after that to further myself and put in the work, which is the most important part. You know what's the powerful thing about that too as well? People like you and like us who may not have been formally trained for the careers that we've chosen, is that for us, there's no plan B, you know. <laughs> I have all of this, you know, in so and so education, so I could probably do this if I want. It's like, no, 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 no. So this just has to work. And when I say this, I don't mean just this alone, but whatever you're doing, it has to work because this is it here. You have to make it work. So yeah, you're right. You're right. And so paying it forward, I think when it happens to you that way, you have a greater appreciation because you know that you were in rooms you didn't belong. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You sat at a table that 
ordinarily, you would not be there. But because somebody pulled a chair for you and said, hey, sit next to me, it's like suddenly they don't realize what they just did. Maybe they do, but yeah, we have to pay it for, like you said. We have to. Yeah, sure. Dexter, tell us where we can find more of your work. You can find it on my website at dextermusgrave.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, same thing, Dexter Musgrave. And you can find me on Instagram, Dexter Musgrave. Dexter, thank you very much for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. Again, I think that we were able to uncover some things that would help somebody else. And I really appreciate that you open with your story with how you came up and whatnot and provided some good insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. Thank you for the opportunity. I am Dexter Musgrave and in a big box of crayons, I would be unignorable yellow. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. We Are Crayons, the podcast, is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, remember, we are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.